Happy New Year, everybody. This is Ann Robertson, pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from this morning, January 7th. And even though it's the day after Epiphany, since we Protestants don't have church on the day of the feast, we celebrated Epiphany this morning, still had the Christmas decorations up and all of those sorts of things. I apologize for the lack of recorded sermons these past couple of weeks. Of course, you had the one from Christmas Eve morning, the one from Christmas Eve evening didn't get recorded, and then last week, December 31st, as we finished up our daily walk program, we had a discussion in church, and we talked about the Bible, and I said some things, and people asked some questions, and they shared their own insights and their own experiences and their favorite Bible verses, and because there was so much sharing, it was going to be too complicated and probably not possible to get everybody's participation or willingness to have their stuff put up on the web. So that's why you haven't heard a sermon in a while, and welcome back, and I hope you enjoy this one, titled simply Epiphany. I know that most of you probably have not been kept up nights wondering about Epiphany. A large number of people have never heard of Epiphany, and although I'd heard of it, it never really dawned on me that anybody might actually celebrate it until I visited Germany in January of 1979. As I said with the children, Epiphany falls on January 6th, yesterday, 12 days after Christmas, the day you're supposed to get 12 drummers drumming, and the day that we commonly remember the arrival of the wise men in Bethlehem. In Germany and in some other countries, this is a big, big deal. Children dress up as kings and travel from door to door, much as we do on Halloween. Only instead of collecting for themselves, they collect money for the poor, remembering that the wise men brought gifts to the poor Christ child. It was astounding over there. Everywhere you went, there were little groups of three kids <laughs> you know, going around from house to house dressed up as kings. And seeing those children in their costumes was the first contact I'd had with anybody actually celebrating Epiphany. And it started me wondering if we weren't missing something. Well, the more you look into church history, the more you realize that we're missing a whole lot of things. Epiphany in the early church was one of the great feast days. It was second only to Easter in its importance. The third great feast, Easter Epiphany, was Pentecost, another day that's drifted into the religious backwaters. And even Easter is greatly watered down today. Easter used to be celebrated and still is in some traditions with an all-night vigil the night before. Not just getting up in the morning at 7.30 to go to a sunrise service, but you spend the entire night in church going through salvation history. And then the celebration continued for what was called the Great 50 Days ending with a huge blowout on Pentecost. So you have a feast that begins the night before Easter, goes for 50-50 days until the birthday of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Those three things, Epiphany, Easter, and Pentecost, were the focus of the church. Nobody even thought about celebrating Christmas in the church until the fourth century. And it was late In this country, when I worked at the John Carter Brown Library, which was rare Americana at Brown University, and I was putting on an exhibition there of some of the books, and I said, you know, I'm going to do 
Christmas in America. Well, there wasn't any Christmas in America before 1800 because the church didn't want, they didn't want anything to do with that holiday. The Puritans shoved it aside. Um, it was the Victorians that really brought that celebration to life in America. So what's the deal with Epiphany? Or as one of my seminary professors used to ask, how come nothing epiphs on Epiphany anymore? Why was Epiphany so important? And why is it so unimportant now? For those few who might have heard of Epiphany, chances are you'll know it as we talk with the children about the day that the wise men came. And that's right, partially. The word epiphany means manifestation or revelation. And the coming of the wise men is celebrated as the time that Jesus as Messiah was revealed to the Gentiles. The Christmas story is seen to symbolize the spread of the gospel, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, first to the poor, then to the rich, first to the ones who kept the temple flocks in accordance with Jewish law, then to pagan astrologers whose occupation the law of Moses expressly forbid. But it used to be that Epiphany celebrated more than just the wise men. In the days when Epiphany was a great church feast, it also celebrated the revelation of Jesus in his first miracle, the changing the water into wine that Annette read for us at Cana in Galilee, and also the manifestation of Jesus as the Son of God at the time of his baptism. Those three things, the wise men, Cana, and Jesus' baptism were all lumped together to symbolize the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And such revelation was cause for great celebration. That a baby was born in a manger was completely unimportant when compared with the things that proved who that baby was. Jesus' birth would have had no significance if nobody knew who he was, if he wasn't revealed in some way. The authority of Jesus comes from the signs he performed, the divine validation given by a voice of a descending dove at his baptism, and through the signs in the heavens that could be interpreted even by Gentiles. Epiphany celebrates the first signs that God gave to the world of who Jesus was. The signs were God's way of saying, hey, this is the guy. And Epiphany is the church's way of saying, and we can never be the same again. So why doesn't anything epiph on Epiphany anymore? And there may be several answers, but I think one of them is, for the most part, we no longer expect Christ to be made manifest. We've stopped looking for the revelation of Jesus as God's Son. The early church was full of excitement and expectation. They anticipated the return of Christ at any time, and the persecutions that they faced forced them to be aware of their faith and to live or die for that faith every place that they went, every minute of their lives. I think many of us today have lost that sense of excitement and expectation. The early church celebrated Epiphany with the emphasis on God's present manifestations to us, and the expectation of God's future and ultimate revelation. The point wasn't to remember history, but to be reminded that God appears to us miraculously and in ways that we don't expect. 
That way we'll be prepared when God does it again and we'll be able to recognize God's coming to us. Notice that all the events celebrated at Epiphany took place outside of the established religious structures, in a stable with Gentiles, a river with a religious rebel and fanatic, at a wedding reception when all the guests are drunk. And this is the way that God still appears. God epiphs where and when we least expect it. If we're not expecting to see God revealed at any moment on any day, in any place that we go, we'll likely miss God's coming entirely, coming away from wondrous miracles, unmoved or unchanged. The wedding at Cana was crowded, but only a few there were aware that Jesus had worked a miracle in their midst. Most of them weren't paying attention or were passed out on the floor. They weren't expecting miracles, so they weren't watching and missed an event that people have talked about now for 2,000 years. Bethlehem was so full of people that Mary and Joseph couldn't even find a room to spend the night. But there's no indication that any more than a handful paid any notice at all to the new life that changed all of history, bright stars and shepherd stories notwithstanding. If we want anything to epiph in our lives, we'd better begin by expecting it and watching for it. If you're expecting company in your home, you're not going to miss their arrival unless they're purposefully sneaking up on you. You've made preparations for their coming, you fully expect to see them, and you always keep an ear out for the doorbell or an eye out the window. Yet how many of us expect God in that way? Do we prepare? Have we even invited God to show up? Epiphany in our lives begins with a prayer, and it ends with a warning. The prayer is one that tells God how much we would like to have God stop by. Prayer that asks God to be made manifest in us and to us. How many times do you prepare for your day by asking God to be revealed in your coworkers, in the traffic on the way, in the clients or the customers that you deal with? How many times do you prepare for coming to church by asking God to speak to you in the music, in the sermon, through the others, in the congregation, in the prayers? If you're not expecting company, they might well show up when you're out or asleep or too busy in the back to hear the knocking on the door. Those of you who just stopped by the parsonage know that all the time. (laughs) I'm clueless. I can't hear the doorbell if I don't know you're coming. Uh, You might be knocking there for a long time. If you don't expect God to appear or to speak or to touch your heart, if you're not looking for God at every turn and listening for God in every voice, chances are you're going to be as clueless as the guests at the wedding or the people in Bethlehem when God does appear. Epiphany begins with expectant prayer, and it ends with a warning. After the wise men have seen the child and have given their gifts, God warns them in a dream not to return to King Herod and to go back to their own country by a different road. The visit to the Christ child ends with a warning. Don't go back the way you came. 
I think this could well be one of the greatest truths in all of Scripture. Once God has been made manifest to you, once you've been inside the stable, once you've seen your water turned into wine, once you've seen the dove descended and recognized Jesus for who he is, you mustn't go back. You can't go back the same way you came in. When we leave the stable, we leave differently. The same old way will not do. To meet Christ requires that we turn from our former way and go by another road. That's all repentance means. It doesn't mean groveling on broken glass and saying, oh, I'm such a worm, Lord. It means saying, you know what? I'm going the wrong way. And that's a better way to go. God's on that road and not on this one. And it's simply a decision to quit going this way and to start going that way. We're better off never to have seen the truth at all than to see it and ignore it. Once you've seen Jesus, don't go back the way you came. It's simple and it's ignored by people every day of the year. We come to church, we say the creeds, sing the hymns that declare the astounding news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We hear the Bible that tells of the steadfast love of God. We hear what God expects of us. We hear of God's mercy. We hear that we were created by God and for God. And we go back home exactly the same way that we came in. We remain unchanged. And we do the same thing outside of church. If you're looking, the signs of God's presence are all around us. It's there in the trees and the ocean and the sky and the stars. It's in the delivery room and in the funeral home. It's in the face of the guy under the bridge who will work for food. And in the heart of my little friend Krista down in Florida who saw that guy and made her mother deviate from their errands and go to McDonald's and get him something. God is present in the wagging tail of my dog Ruckus, no matter what it knocks over. <laughs> and in the presence of the voice of a friend on the telephone. God is in all those places and more. Yet how seldom it is that we notice it or allow the encounter to change us. Don't go back the way you came. It's the hands down most effective way to show others who God is. God is the one who transforms, who makes the water wine. God is the one who changes hearts and lives. God is the one who's willing to take pagan astrologers and use even their gifts for the glory of God. If that change isn't evident in your life, if you go back home from a meeting with God exactly the same way that you came, all your words are just so much noise. Generally, they're even more offensive noise than they were before you met God in the first place. Don't go back the way you came. We all meet God in different ways and at different times and places in our lives. The message of Epiphany is that the revelation of God is talking about more than a one-shot deal. It's not that Jesus came once and that was that. It's not that we have just one time in our lives when God epiphs, although there may be one time that really stands out for us. The message of Epiphany is the same that we hear in the book of Revelation, 
that Jesus is the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. It's the message we hear in the Easter story, that Jesus lives now, here. The God who was made manifest in Jesus of Nazareth is the same God that was manifest somewhere, somehow, in your house this morning. Did you catch it? It's the same God that epiphed in the opening hymn and the God that will be revealed some way in the fellowship hall over coffee or in the parking lot when you leave. The message of epiphany is keep watch for you don't know the day or the hour or the circumstances where God will appear. I can't force you to encounter God. You have to have a willing spirit and you have to be looking. But God is here to be encountered. Beside you in the pews, in the sacrament of communion, in the scripture reading, even in the offering. From the songs we sing to the prayers we pray to the sermons that are preached, the ultimate purpose of all of it is to provide a place where it's easier for people to experience the epiphany of God, a time that's structured in such a way to encourage people to open our eyes and see the God who is here in our midst. Let something epiph for you this epiphany. Make space in your life to meet God. God is here this morning, but God is also outside the doors. You can find God on a walk through the woods, in your children, in the squirrels darting around the yard, in your neighbor, and in the stranger in front of you in the grocery store. God is all around you, waiting to be revealed to somebody willing to look. Expect it. Expect it everywhere. Get up in the morning wondering when it will come and go to sleep listening for God's voice. Read your Bible expecting to hear God and come to the communion table open to receive God's presence. But whatever you do, don't go back the way you came. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Thank you.